Hello, and welcome to the Real Estate Investors Lounge. Join us as we cover a multitude of real estate-related topics with some of the brightest and most experienced minds in the industry. Our goal with The Real Podcast is to provide information, strategies, and insight on how to navigate the current and upcoming Canadian market. We use the experiences, knowledge, and the expertise of our guests and professionals in the field and offer it all back to you, the listener. We hope you enjoy the show. Be sure to check out our website at www.reilounge.ca. We're your hosts, Brian Fitzgerald, Erica Spencer, and Jay Shaw. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Real Estate Investors Lounge. My name is Brian Fitzgerald, and I'm sitting down with Jay Shaw. Erica Spencer is, yes, you guessed it, on assignment again. And tonight we're on the phone. Man, she gets a lot of assignments, Brian. How come we never, can we put in a complaint with our producers? I don't know. I can't complain. Remember, I was recording from the bathtub last episode. (laughs) So, So tonight we're on the phone with Scott Zanburian, who is a corporate world type of fella, and yet he's been investing in a few different places in southern Ontario the last few years. And the best of all, he's been doing it with the full consent of his wife, Kim. So before I ruin the whole point of this podcast, I'd like to welcome Scott to the show. So thanks, Scott, so much for making the time for us. We really do appreciate it. We know you're a busy guy with family and work. So uh, thanks very much for, for being with us tonight. Hey, thanks so much for inviting me on. Happy to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So we'll kick it off right away. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your background and who you are and what makes you you. And, and uh, yeah, take it away. Cool. Well, like you said, it's uh, Scott Van Bergen. I've, uh, I'm, I live in Georgetown, a lovely metropolis of Georgetown, Ontario, um, sub, basically surrounded by cows and hay fields and things like that. I'm married to uh, my wife, Kim, and we've got two teenage daughters, 15 and 17. So we are like living right in the eye of the storm right now. So it's, it's, it's pretty chaotic in our house. Um Let's, let's see. So, I mean, I guess, um, you know, I, I, as you said, I'm in the corporate world, right? So I, I um, entered the rat race, as I like to say, in 1993. And um, I spent, you know, since, ever since then, so what is that, 25 years or so, working in technology companies. So I've been bouncing around a little bit um, between different companies. I've been moving um, between, I started in Toronto, I lived in Ottawa for a period of time, um, moved out to Vancouver with my family, and then back to the GTA uh, in 2011. Um, so, and that kind of, you know, so it's lots, lots of change, lots of, um, lots of new responsibilities along the way. And right now I've found myself in the last three and a half years or so, I'm, I'm leading a product, uh, product team at uh, a big software company. I'm one of about 8,000 employees. I drive into Mississauga every day, so I'm I'm you know living the dream as they say. I'm stuck on the 401 for 45 minutes a day each way, and way we go. Sounds so appealing. 1993, those were the days, hey? Eh? Wow. I know I was 12. It was awesome. <laughs> I would tell you how old I was. Uh, <laughs> you, I, I hope you weren't 12, but okay. <laughs> I was 12. I was 12. All right, I was a little older than that. So okay. I, I, yeah, I graduated in '93, so. Uh, I guess I'm the old guy on the show tonight. <laughs> I graduated elementary school in uh, 1993, so it was a big year for both of us, Scott. There you go. There you go. 
So, yeah. Scott, you said something right off the hop. Um, you said something right off the hop that uh, I think really struck people's uh, interest. And uh, I think Brian and I uh, would like to ask you this because we want to know this. You said that you're investing in real estate with the full consent of your wife. How <laughs> did you do that? Yep. Tell me the secret and how much did it cost you? <laughs> how do I invest with the full consent of my wife? Um, well, I mean, I would. <sighs> I guess I would say first of all, you know, my wife and I have always had an interest in real estate, like in in the retail sense, right? Like it's fun to shop for a new house. Uh, we we've moved a lot. Um, just even when we were in, in one city, we we moved a couple of times. Um, you know, taking advantage of some gains in the house, and and um, but as a result, we kind of got uh, you know hooked on the, the the fun aspects of shopping for real estate. Um, you know, funny story in uh, twenty I don't know when it was twenty thirteen or so, we actually did a um, a home reno show. So I was on a, um, a HGTV show where we renovated our house. This is when we were living uh, near downtown Toronto. And so, yeah, so we had, uh, we did with the whole process of uh, apply to get on a TV show, uh, got approved, they came in, we did, we gutted our entire main floor of our house. And, you know, with the film crews, we were being interviewed as they did it. And, you know, so I guess the point of the story here is that we've always kind of been real estate people. We've always enjoyed it. Uh, so for me then to take the next step of saying, hey, hon, I want to spend some money and, and invest in some investment properties, um, and we're going to put tenants in them. I mean, it was a few conversations, I think, to get to that point, but it it wasn't that big of a battle. Yeah. See, Brian, I told you this guy was famous. We had to get him on the show. No, just... So he's he's been on HGTV, dead camera crews in his house, and he's convinced his wife. This guy is like a rock star. And now he's on a podcast, like a world-renowned podcast. Amazing. I, this was the one piece I was missing all along. Yeah, right? yeah. He's going to yeah. make us famous, Brian. We've he's completed your famous. utopia. We need to get this guy on here. That's hilarious. <laughs> New co-host. That's pretty. Yeah. Well, Eric is never here, so why not? <laughs> On assignment. Sure, sure. He's on assignment. Well, that, that's actually a pretty pretty good story. So when you, with all that in, that you just told us, what was the deciding factor in um, pulling the trigger on investing in real estate? Was was the thought like, listen, this is a nest egg we got to make or, um, you know, yeah. it's a substitute for a pension or is it just a lifestyle that you want to lead? Like what, what was the pull, what was the trigger moment there? I think the trigger moment for me was seeing the lack of performance in my, you know, mutual funds and whatever other garbage I was invested in. Um, so I, like everybody, you know, was just doing the basic contribute to RSP kind of thing for a long time. Um, and, you know, the way I look at it, I, I often kick myself now in hindsight because I feel like I sat on the sidelines for way too long, um, didn't do anything. So, you know, all in, it was about 20 years after I started working, like got into the rat race, before I finally took a step towards taking control over my own investing. And I did that before I got into real estate. I, I did that by just, let me just first do a self-directed RSP. So, you know, pulled all my money out of these, re, these, these mutual funds that were high fees and whatnot. And then I moved my money into ETFs and started managing that stuff myself. But that was just the beginning. And then I think once I started getting my hands dirty and, and educating myself on that, 
within a couple of years, I was then researching real estate. Um, and, and it was all about, I just wanted to get into higher, higher performance, you know, bigger gains, um, in my, in my investment. And so I, you know, it was around 2014 that I, that I took that first plunge into real estate investing. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was all about just, I just wanted to get something in my portfolio that I could feel like, you know, this is going to actually push me in the right motion because I was spending a lot of time looking at my statements that were coming in from mutual funds and ETFs, and I just never really saw benefits. I never really saw in, uh, in, an increase in value other than what I was contributing. And so that just kind of got me feeling like I need to do something about this. But as I said, I still kick myself to this day for waiting so long before I actually took that step, right, before I took, kind of took matters into my own hands and then uh, and got started. So, I think we all have done that, right? We all look back to – you know, a few years before where it's like, oh, I could have got, you know, I mean, even like in the Hamilton area, I mean, you know, Brian and I with our clients, we shop, um, you know, with clients in the Hamilton area and think about like the early 2000s when you could buy like a really nice house on the West Mountain for, you know, 200,000, right? And now they're selling for, you know, 550, 600, right? So I think we mm-hmm. all, are, you know, are able to kick ourselves, right? Yeah, and, yeah. We, we wish we could have started sooner. Um, so Scott, like, I mean, talk about like, I mean, that's a huge step, right? Like, I mean, I think, uh, you know, you talked about moving money out of your RSPs. I think, you know, some people would like die, right? And I think we heard a couple of uh, financial planners pass out when you said that. What was that <laughs> step like? Because I think that's the biggest thing and the biggest barrier when we talk to, you know, people that want to invest in real estate. That's the biggest hurdle is that taking that giant step forward, right? What was that like for you? And what was that like for Kim? Because um, I know she's involved in, you know, investing with you as well. Because that's a huge step, right? Like, I mean, you both have yeah. stable, stable jobs and stable income. But what was that like to make that step to say, you know what, we're going to pull this money back here from, you know, what we're always taught is like put it in RSPs and it'll grow to like pull it out. Well, I I, I, sh- I should clarify then. Um, cause I, so I never I didn't I never pulled the money out of the RSP to put into real estate. I still have that money sitting in RSPs in different asset classes, some some real estate trust kinds of things. I. I didn't pull the money out of real estate and put it in – sorry, pull the money out of my okay, RSPs got to put it in real estate. What I did is I I got my um, hands dirty in the RSPs myself, self, self-directing, right? And then when I jumped into real estate, that was with savings, right? So we started fresh in, in the real estate side. I said, you know, the heck with this RSP portfolio. I'm going to stop contributing to that thing because it's just like it's not really going anywhere. So I left that alone, and then I started uh, funneling all my new savings into real estate investing. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks for clarifying that. Yeah. Yeah, so let me, um, you know, I can I can just give you a bit of context around how, what that looked like um, then, like in 2014. So how we started was because I think what so many people um, – struggle with when when they're getting started is taking that first step Uh, it's so easy to you know to make plans to start investing but then it's just taking action sometimes that is where you get you suffer from analysis paralysis right so what we did in this case is we actually partnered with friends of ours who were kind of in a similar on a similar journey um and so we actually partnered together and thought, you know, maybe maybe this is a way we can, you know, have a bit of shared accountability between like two couples, my, myself and Kim and our friends, 
and we we had some some shared interests around we, we wanted to do this and so we thought maybe by pushing pushing each other we would get started and so we we did that we got we got the, the four of us together we did some brainstorming we i did some googling i learned a lot um next thing you know i i found the rockstar um organization took some of their classes and got hooked up with um with a coach and we went out and we bought um three properties in the short in the span of about three months and these were all single family homes and they're all three of them are in bowmanville so we started on the east end of the gta because at the time we were living just east of downtown in the beaches neighborhood of toronto and so we started investing that way and so we we bought these three houses really really quickly um through kind of pooling our our assets, pooling our resources, and sharing some of the responsibility of managing the properties. So we thought that that was going to be um, a good way to to kind of share that workload across essentially the two families. I, I probably still have some pictures of the uh, of our, our whiteboard conversations that we we had many times, uh, and it took us a few conversations over uh, probably a longer period of time than I care to admit just to kind of you know get comfortable with with doing this um, yeah. and then and then what what happens what happens after that is I think it's the case that everybody experiences is, is that once you do this a couple of times you realize that um, I can keep doing this right like if, as long as you can keep figuring out how to how to find the funds how to finance the the, uh, the deal then really nothing gets in your way anymore right and you just let, and it becomes a little bit of an addiction i suppose that you want to just keep on pushing forward so yeah so those those three first three houses we did that was um probably between like august and uh october of 2014 like we we cranked through those pretty quickly we had uh relatively good experience uh filling those houses i mean this was all new for us you know Putting ads on Kijiji, screening tenants, having conversations. I actually quite enjoyed it. Like I, we were, we were driving out to the houses. We were doing the the open house style concept where we say, hey, we're going to be at the house Saturday two o'clock, and then be three or four or five uh, parties would show up uh, to take a look at the place, and you know I would I would talk them through it. Uh, we tried the rent to own thing uh, as well, and we ended up just kind of focusing on straight buy and hold. Uh, but we but we learned a lot right through those. Through the, those first three single-family homes, and I think if I look back, I mean that's what gave me a, a kind of a, a bit of a jump start to build a base of knowledge of of going through that process uh, on our own, right? So per, me personally, I was very hands-on through every step of, of the way. Um, you know, whether it was working with getting, getting the financing in place with the brokers, um, getting the getting the ads put up, doing the screening, doing the leases, all those kinds of things. Um, I just I just learned a lot at a very very fast rate. That's very cool. That's good. And that mm-hmm. and those properties in Bowmanville, do you still have them now or? We do. Yeah. yeah. So they are in hindsight. I look at those houses now, and so I don't. I tend not to focus on single family anymore. So those those are the only three in my portfolio that are single family homes. Okay. Still in the portfolio, obviously not great cash flowing properties because they're single family and because there's been some uh, insur- um, interest rate hikes since 2014 that we've gone through because these are variable mortgages. So that squeezes the um, the cash flow a little bit every time that happens. Um, 
down to the point that they're they're still positive cash flowing, but not much. Like they're pretty razor thin. Right. The saving grace on these properties is that you know we paid uh, all. Well, the first two were the first two were were almost identical homes, cookie cutter. You know, in the suburbs, they look exactly the same inside and out. We paid about three hundred five for those houses each, um, and I've been. You know, I've been kind of shopping the market to see what houses in that neighborhood are worth, and you know, they're they're listed for anywhere between four seventy five and five twenty five right now. You know, so when I Not think bad. about the cap, yeah, when we look at the the mortgage paydown that we've had, um, you know, there's there's you know north of two hundred and ten, two hundred twenty thousand dollars of equity sitting in each of those houses, right? Yeah. So. So that's the that's the saving grace, right? You think, ah, oh, the cash flow is kind of crappy on these houses, but then you look at the the, the equity you've built up, and uh, that's pretty cool. So now we're starting to look at potentially refining those houses and pulling that money out and yeah. doing something else. So, there's yeah. there's some very good ample funding right there. Absolutely, nice. yes. So um, where do, like so those are in Bowmanville. Where are you? And you said you're in Georgetown. So now, where are you yeah. investing now? So now I've, I've shifted my focus. Um, so fast forward a little bit. So what happened um, in the meantime, switched jobs, got a little bit defocused because, yeah, you know, new work, all that kind of thing. Two, two years goes by. Here I am kicking myself again that I haven't done much more. I didn't mention we did do a fourth. Uh, we did a fourth with a, uh, um, another partner in the, in the meantime in Oshawa. But then um, so some time goes by and... I kind of get that itch again, and now we're talking 2017 here, and I, I, I re-engaged in the process again. Now we're living in Georgetown, so I started looking in Hamilton, right? So started going to some of the, the, the various meetups and real estate investor clubs, and, uh, and then in the last, uh, what is it now, since September of last fall, 2017, um, until now, I, I basically bought three more in, well, this is two in Hamilton, and then one that closes actually next week in Welland. Uh, and now we're looking at doing, uh, these are all duplexes now, because I really like the cash flow that the duplexes are providing. Awesome. I love it. Gives me goosebumps. Gives you goosebumps. Yeah, I, lo- I love hearing these stories. The aggressive <laughs> stories, too. I love aggressive stories. It's great. So, Scott, you're into, I mean, we started off with single-family homes. We got into now legal duplexes. Um, you know, I mean, what else is in your portfolio? Is that kind of where you're going to now, the legal duplex route? Just in terms of like, I guess, with with prices going up, is that kind of your plan? Yeah, I, I mean, I really like the cash flow, right? That you get out of the, the yep. duplex. So, you know, we're seeing, I would say on average, about seven hundred dollars a month cash flow on a duplex, which uh, which gives me comfort knowing that there's. There's some buffer there to handle things like, you know, when the interest rates creep up a little bit more, I'm not too stressed about it because I know that there's some room within the, the, the cash flow to cover those things uh, and maintenance. So I really like the duplexes. I mean, I, I have been thinking about, you know, what's, what's after that? You know, do we look at some fourplexes, sixplexes, that kind of thing? But I'm not quite there yet. I'm, I'm, quite, I'm quite happy with the, the duplex uh, route right now because I feel like um, – you know the 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 formula is uh, it's, it's easily repeatable, right? You find the right property, you work with your contracting team, your reno, um, you can refinance it, um, and you know you put good tenants in it, and then you're off to the races, right? So I I think it's just a it's a good strategy for me right now, and you know there seems to be no shortage of of 
great properties in Hamilton, St. Catharines, and now looking in Welland, um, yeah. of, of houses that really kind of check those boxes, right, that are going to turn into good good duplex potentials. It's it, what we say, like when we work with investors, it's the definition of success, right? Find something that you're good at and replicate it over and over again, right? I mean, that's the true definition, right? Is that, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. we tell people just to do that. Now, what are you getting for uh, rent, Scott? Like, I mean, uh, like you said, the single family homes are when you first started out, but as you're kind of going into the legal duplexes, just give people an idea of kind of what you're collecting in terms of rent for, um, you know, the two sure. The two units. Sure. Well, uh, let me give you a perspective first on what we're getting in Bowmanville um, uh, in the single family homes. So we on the single families, we're at seventeen ninety five uh, for rent. There are plus utilities, so they're single families. So seventeen ninety five for an entire house. That's like a two two story house, finished basement. So you know, nice place. And and now that we're looking at the um, the duplexes in Hamilton. So, you know, the, I'll give you an example of one that we did recently uh, where we're getting 14.95 for the upstairs um, plus hydro and then in the in the basement which we finished we're getting 13.95 plus hydro. Wow. So that yeah, so that place is cash flowing about $770 a month. And then uh, the one that I did after that um, has been big even bigger numbers so we bought a house on the west mountain of hamilton and it's top floor so it's also duplex it was already duplex when i bought this one um needs it needs some finishing touches we're going to say in the basement but we're working through that but the upper floor is amazing we're getting 1795 for the upper floor plus utilities on that one uh, just upper floor and in the basement uh we are it's actually it's actually students that live in the basement so this is my this is this was like accidentally fell into student's house. Uh, I did not intend to get a student rental, but this is like a family on the main floor, and then three students in the basement, um, and it's about fifteen hundred now, uh, inclusive in the basement. So really, really strong cash flow on that house as well, at seven hundred dollars. Um, You're getting so eighteen hundred bucks a month for half of a house plus utilities. That's that. I'm like I'm flabbergasted. That's like those are amazing <laughs> numbers. Yeah, well, I um, so I have to admit I got a little worried about starting that high. So when I bought the house, um, this it just things worked out nicely with this one, right? So I bought it. I think the closing date was something like May first or something like that. Um, and I used my walkthroughs prior to closing. So in the month of April, I showed it to about five or six different prospects. Uh, so I had it on Kijiji before I closed on the property. Um, went to the property during the walkthrough, showed it to, like I said, five or six different uh, prospects. Uh, two or three of them put in applications. One of them was a perfect fit, uh, you know, clicked with uh, with the guy, um, thought it was going to be a great fit. And we, but, but I did, I stuck to my guns on price, so I listed it at seventeen ninety five, And I think because I was getting interest, I was getting, you know, a constant flow of leads coming in. I thought that I can, I'm going to stick to this price and I'm going to, I'm going to, um, I'm going to stomach it for a month to see if I can, if I can get uh, somebody in here. And I, I thought if, you know, if the leads dry up or if I'm not able to convert anybody to, to, to rent it from me, I'm going to drop it by a hundred dollars. 
Now, thankfully, I didn't have to. So, like I said, I showed it to enough people. And the fact that people were coming to see it at that price point told me that there, there's got to be interest here. It's, you know, it's in a nice part of Hamilton. It's on a dead-end, quiet street. Uh, it's got a nice lot. Um, it's walking distance to Mohawk College. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I just um, I stuck with the price, and, and I got it. And so that was, you know, but I, I have to admit, I was probably within – uh, you know, a week or two of of, of dropping the price so that I didn't see if I didn't see the conversion come in, but it happened. And then, so what was what I was most happy about in the end though was that when I when I got the, this tenant to to agree to to take it, he moved in like literally the day I closed on the property, or maybe one day later. So I asked him to like, give me give me a day so I can get in with the, you know, the keys and sweep it or whatever needs to be done. Um, but it was it was in you know a turnkey main floor, beautifully finished. And, uh, yeah, so I didn't, I didn't miss a beat at all. And of course, you know, he gives me first and last month's rent up front. Uh, but by the time the first, uh, mortgage payment came out of my bank account, it was something like 45, almost, it felt like 60 days by the time that first mortgage payment came out. It was like late in the second month. So I built up a nice buffer, like right out of the gate, right. To have some, a bit of uh, money in the account to handle some small expenditures and things like that. Cause that always happens in the first you know, 30 to 90 days or whatever, having the property, right? So that was, uh, that gave me a little bit of flexibility. It's a good, healthy head start you had there for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, so that's been a great house. Um, so I've been, been really happy with it. And we're, we're, we're doing a little bit of work inside it right now. Um, nothing, nothing major, but we're just doing, um, like we're, we're redoing the bathroom in the basement, for example. So there are some smaller projects that are happening. So you must have, uh, you were talking about one duplex that was pretty much turnkey, and then you're talking about other ones with renovations. So you're open to the idea of something that's obviously ready to go and ready to rent out, and then obviously you're not as, not too scared of doing any work. I mean, uh, it sounds like you're a broad range. You're willing to get your hands dirty and, and spend a little bit of money to, to make it a duplex, I guess, right? Yeah, I mean, I... I almost prefer that, like the, the option to do it ourselves, because then you kind of get what you're getting and you're getting something new um, in the basement. Because, you know, at the end of the day, the basement really matters when you're, doing a, when you're buying for a duplex, right? Because you need to get good rent out of the basement. So you want the opportunity to finish it nicely. You know, new appliances, looks great, fresh windows, paint, whatever it is. It makes a difference. And yeah. so, uh, like... Let, let me actually just walk you through a little bit about some of the numbers on the uh, the other property we did in Hamilton, where where this one we did a complete basement uh, renovation. It was it was a clean slate. So this was a house that was on the East Mountain. Uh, we we bought it for four hundred and twenty thousand dollars, twenty percent down, and it was a you know the main floor was really well done right it wasn't it wasn't completely completely renovated but it was really clean fairly modern uh, so we were happy with the main floor really didn't need anything we walk in the basement it's it's like a clean slate right so there was it was not finished it, would, it never had been finished um so you know we thought okay this is going to be we think this is going to work because the ceiling height seemed right uh for hamilton so what we did on this property is we did what's called a, um, a mortgage plus improvement mortgage. So that's when you go to the lender and you say, hey, Mr. Lender, I'm buying this house and I'm going to put a legal basement suite in it. So I'm going to raise the value by doing that. Uh, here's the quote for the suite. It's going to be $70,000. And the bank comes back and says, okay, cool. 
we'll give you 60000 of that seventy, and they just tacked it onto the mortgage. So I paid four twenty for the house. The mortgage actually comes in at they they, they um, appraise it at four eighty, so I get essentially eighty percent of that value, and that becomes what I mortgage what I'm mortgaging. And then we go ahead, we do the project, we hire the contractors, they come in, they do the uh, beautiful basement renovation, and then when it's all said and done, you know, ninety days or whatever that took to get it all done, the the bank sends in their appraiser to look at it. They essentially go through the checklist of all the work that we said that we were going to do because we had to submit the quote to them. So all the things that we said that we were going to do, check, 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 done, um, passes all those conditions, and then they they essentially uh, wire me the money, the $60,000. And so that covers the, the majority of the cost that I just put into this place to do the suiting in the first place, to do the basement suite. So that's why I'm saying like it's like once you start to get that formula down and you see how the financing works and the banks are working with you and they're helping you to cover some of that cost, uh, it it's addicting <laughs> and everybody wins <laughs> everybody wins yeah That's awesome. yeah yeah and i'm and we're just about to do start this process now on another another house this is the one we're going to do in welland so essentially repeating the formula and i did what i didn't mention sorry just back to that house for one second um um we just did an appraisal on it and it was appraised at uh i think they said 512 or 515 or something like that so this is this is like I don't know eight months or so after we um, bought it, and so now we'll be pulling out about thirty to thirty-five thousand dollars. In uh, we'll, we'll basically just add a home equity line of credit to that property, which I can then parlay that money into helping fund my next one, right, or help fund the rental on my next the property that we're about to kick off. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, set up a little bank account on each house. Basically. Yeah, that's kind of. That's kind of the plan, right? So yep. get the uh, get the bank accounts going, and yeah, very cool. Um, so I mean, uh, I guess like we we kind of touched a little bit on this, Scott. Like you're finding like in in area of Hamilton, and kind of now you're into the Niagara region. What are you seeing for the demand for rentals? Like you talked about, kind of that you know that uh, property that you rented for seventeen ninety five, where you had. The influx. Are you seeing that on a majority of the properties that you're renting out? You're getting that that strong demand for uh, for uh, rental properties. Yeah. Well, knock on wood, I have yet to have a problem filling any any property. Uh, I, you know, in the four and a half years or whatever it's been that I, since I've had investment properties, I haven't had any long term vacancies. Right. Uh, you know, the only the only vacancies we would have had is when a tenant gave us notice that they're leaving and then they left and then we went in and wanted to do some cleanup painting, whatever. And I think in one case, that might have been one of our Bowmanville houses. We might have been um, empty for 60 days while we did that work. Um, but that was a little bit intentional, too, right, because we wanted to do a little bit of, of work to the house. Um, but when anytime we've listed it, we have not had a challenge drumming up the demand right so i i would say that um you know be be ready to you know be on your a game right when you're marketing the property be you know updating your ads if you're not getting enough leads or responses to your ad try changing the pictures try rewording the ad you know if you have to tweak the price all right but um but no honestly in my in my experience i have not seen um, not anything that would be of concern to me, like, oh, my goodness, there's nobody renting houses. That has not happened, right? So, you know, I look at the, the economics of it. I, don't, I keep hearing there's a statistic like 200,000 uh, 
uh, immigration immigrants come that come to Ontario annually. Um, and we know that the majority of those are going to settle somewhere in the greater Toronto area or the Golden Horseshoe. So, uh, you know, that's, that's a lot of, that's a lot of people looking for housing. Um, and in many cases, maybe it's affordable housing. And I think that's what's, what's great about the duplexing model is that you're adding, you know, you're adding extra stock to the housing market, right? Uh, that's going to be appealing to, uh, to a broader range of people. I couldn't, I couldn't no, agree I mean, more, that, actually. That makes so much sense, right? And I think the other pieces, you know, I mean, uh, looking at it, because I think one of the things that we see with investors is sometimes they, you know, they get emotional in terms of listing, where so they list it for, let's say, 1500 for round numbers, and they're, they want 1500 and it's, you know, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, six weeks. They still haven't filled it for 1500 and you know, they, they, they don't make any changes, and they, they want 1500 but they're, they're sticking to their guns. They won't reduce the price, right? Because at the end of the day, what we tell people is that that $1,500, you can hold out for that $1,500. It may take you, you know, maybe it takes you one month, maybe it takes you two months. But yeah. by dropping that $100, right, you know, you're you're getting someone in there. You're still doing your due diligence. You're getting someone in there. You're only losing $100. But by holding out for, let's say, two months on that $1,500, well, guess what? You've just lost $3,000. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you do have to be, you have to flex to the market for sure. Um, and, and I think that's a good point is that be ready to do it quickly. Um, and, and like I said, like when I, when I've had the experience of when I see the leads coming in, um, that's usually a good sign for me, right? Like, okay, there's interest there. That's, that's step one. Step two is the people that are interest, are they going to show up at the house when they say they're going to show up? And if they do, and they give me pretty good feedback, and they're not balking about the price, then I think I'm on the right track, right? Um, and so then I, I might I might kind of stomach it for a little longer to see if I can get the price I'm looking for. Um, but if but to your point, if you if it's taking too long, you got to be ready to do it because dropping fifty or a hundred dollars is not going to make or break it for you, right? Yeah, like for us, we've you know I mean we've had properties where it's taken us a lot longer to fill and we've accepted less rent. Um, you know, than we would have liked, but the property's filled. Uh, we still yeah. do our due diligence. We still make sure we get the right people in there and we have great tenants and they're happy and they take really good care of the place. Right. And, you know, like, I mean, we would have loved to have gotten, you know, $100, $200 more, but you know what? We didn't get it. That's okay. But, you know, it's cash flowing now. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll always have the opportunity when, uh, you know, when the, when the house turns over in the future, you'll always have the opportunity to, to get uh, whatever whatever the market demands at that point, so which could be even higher, could be three hundred more at that point. You never know. Yeah, no, absolutely, for sure. Yeah. Well, that was a good uh, breakdown of kind of what you're doing numbers, which I we we spoke about earlier. That breaking down the numbers is kind of what everybody loves to hear, and mm-hmm. obviously you're getting some good numbers. Um, what um, like when it came to your first deal, I know you did a, a joint venture with some friends for actually a yeah. first few deals, but how did you finance your first deal? And maybe how did you finance a, a couple deals really? Like, is, was there anything creative or is it just like, Hey, I've got a hundred thousand dollars in my bank account. I should go buy a house. Like yeah, how did, how did we, that look? Um, so yeah, answer that the- carefully. Cause if you have a hundred thousand dollars in your bank account, I'm coming to see you. Yes. <laughs> Definitely don't anymore. Um, we uh, so we we just did it like the 
the traditional way, right? So we, we kind of pooled our savings together, um, you know, because all four of us were working corporate jobs, by the way, in this little partnership we had. We all had corporate jobs. We all got annual bonuses and things like that. And so it, it doesn't take long before you've accumulated, you know, a bit of a little bit of money here that you can begin to invest, right? Um, and and part of that part of that is was just the uh, the approach of how you manage your own money because you know what I didn't talk about is you know before I started this journey of of investing I would have quite uh, happily taken you know when I got a bonus and you know I would have you know done something for our own house or when I bought myself a new car or whatever right kind of that consumer lifestyle trap that we sometimes get caught in and once. Once I changed my mindset to, to really be, um, you know, think more about frugality and, and, and taking money to earn me more money, then I just used more of that, that mindset to say, okay, we're going to start saving towards buying uh, assets. And so those first few houses, we just pooled our money together and we bought them. Um, and then we financed through, you know, conventional mortgage. So we went through... Uh, a mortgage broker that really understands investors, so got got hooked into those uh, various networks of, of you know the, the team, including the broker, uh, through the Rockstar um, group, and they they were just you know instrumental in helping us get financing. And but most importantly, we had a conversation at the beginning to to talk about well, uh, like how many houses do you guys intend to buy. Uh, because if you say two, well, then I'm going to put you to this lender. If you say 10, I'm going to start you on this lender over here and then kind of work your way over. And so we, we at the time gave, you know, we had very ambitious goals and, and our, our broker, you know, just kind of gave us a roadmap of, okay, here's how we're going to get you there. And so we did traditional financing, um, on those properties. And, um, and it just, it just worked. I mean, we have four strong T4 incomes, you know, it, it was never a problem to get, uh, to get approvals, right? So, yeah, and then and then we just we just kept on going with that. And then even even my most recent deals, I'm still kind of doing it that way. Um, you know, with the exception of you know now it's you know as the as the housing prices are getting higher and higher, and you know every time you need a twenty percent down payment, that's harder. It's hard to pull together sometimes because it's a lot of money. You know what I did is I um, I refinanced my principal residence, so where we live here in Georgetown, I refinanced it. So in the three years or so that we lived here, the price of this house shot up by about three hundred thousand dollars. So I refinanced it, and I've been using that money to to tap into right because you know I that to me that just it made a lot of sense to me that I'm why why would I why would I sit on all of this equity that's just sitting in this house here? It's money that's tied up and not earning me any more money. So I just, I didn't even think about it. I'm like, I'm taking that money out. And I'm, I, those are the most three, uh, three most recent houses we bought. That's how we did that. So that's, that's to me, to me what uh, is the, is, you know, the easiest thing that most people should be doing if they've got equity built up in their principal residence is tap into that as a home equity line of credit. I couldn't agree more. That's a huge, yeah, that's a huge mindset shift for I think anyone, right? And I mean, you know, for people to just think differently, right? Is think like an investor and not as a consumer, right? Because I think at a young age, it's always drilled into our head. You know, you pay down your mortgage as quickly as you can. And I mean, we have friends. We all have friends like that, where it's like they're paying double. You know, they're paying double payments, and they're like, I'm going to pay my mortgage off in ten years. And it's 
like, that's great, but it's not always the best solution. That's the best solution for the bank, right? And that's why they offer that, right? Yeah. But it's like, if you think about it a little differently, and I mean, you know, the other piece of that, and I think you, you touched on it, is that you're servicing the, the extra cost that you're servicing or you're, you're incurring on mm-hmm. refinancing your property is paid by your cash flow on the other Oh, property. for sure. For yeah. sure it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, when you, and, and, it's, and it's fairly low interest rate, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's close to what your mortgage interest rate is going to be at, but, but you're only required to do interest-only payments on that. So the, the cost of carrying that is not all that much at the end of the day. Um, and, uh, and you got to look at, you know, what is, what is that money going to turn into in 10 years and these houses that I've invested, right? Cause you know, the, when I think about that, those going back to the first three houses back in Bowmanville and how quickly the equity has grown in those houses. Um, I mean, that, that's, that's what keeps me going, right? I guess I just keep thinking about that's the direction the market is headed for sure. Um, and, uh, you know, you just got to kind of stick with it and, and not, uh, you know, not stress too much about the fact that you've got, you're carrying debt at the same time. And I call that debt good debt. Yeah. Good debt versus yeah. bad debt. Yeah. Yeah. The car in your driveway, bad debt. The three yeah. houses you own, yeah. very good debt. Yeah. And I think what exactly. Jay, like Jay, what you were touching upon about people sitting, well, and, and Scott as well, about people sitting on that equity. I think it, a lot of it goes to like what Jay said, they're, it was beat into their head, just save, 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 pay down your mortgage, save, save, save. But the thing is they're not looking at a long-term picture. They're looking at like, you know, from paycheck to paycheck. Whereas I think the investor mentality, well, once you even make that transition over to the investing side or just a little bit of education, you're starting to look on the longer term. Like, and, and this is where we talk about good debt versus bad debt. It's like, this is the good debt. And if you, you know, look at the picture and the scale from 20 years from now, that good debt is going to be almost no debt whatsoever. And then I'm going to have a whole lot of equity and capital built up in all these properties because I took a chance and a very, I'm not saying it's a very scary chance. Like real estate uh-huh. is generally pretty safe and there's ups and downs. But again, like Scott said earlier, if you have a property that's producing six, seven, $800 a month in cash flow. When the market does take that little dip or a little bit of a correction, you've got a massive buffer there. And God knows how much equity you've put into the place, how much cash flow you've put into the bank account. Like you're sitting in a really good spot. So I think there's a lot of people that have to look at the the longevity of this of this game because mm-hmm. I think I think has such potential to make life so much better down the road for everybody mm-hmm. that gets involved in it. And I'm gonna take a break now. Whew. Yeah. Sorry. Got all riled up there. That is quite the soapbox. There. I know. Nice I know. I'm actually sweating a little bit. Gentlemen, slow clap. I got the goosebumps going now. That's good. Yeah, the slow clap. I like it. <laughs> um, okay. So, Scott, like, I mean, I, I agree with basically everything you guys said, right? Like, and I think what we always say is that, you know, I mean, real estate investing isn't for everyone, right? And, you know, but the people that are listening tonight are genuinely interested in, you know, they're interested in scratching the surface, right? And I think one of the things, you know, you hit on is that, you know, and you've talked about it on a number of times, is that you guys, you and Kim didn't do any of this alone, right? Is that you set yourself up, you lined yourself up with a network mm-hmm. that was going to help you succeed, right? And I think we always say that is that, yeah, you can go and get a regular realtor, you know, your friend who's the mortgage broker or whatever, but if they don't understand what you're doing in real estate investing, you're not going to go very far very quickly, right? That's right, Yeah. So the, I guess the question I have for you is this, 
that going back to kind of that first meeting that you had with your friends that you bought the houses with in Bowmanville, did you guys ever think after you got into like, let's say the second or third is, did you guys ever think what happens if this goes sideways? What are we going to do? Did that cross your mind at all? Or like, what was that discussion like? Um, I mean, it, it definitely crosses our mind. Yes. Um, and me personally, yes. Right. Because I, I, I do have that uh, critical kind of cynical mindset um, that I, that kind of keeps me in check at the same time. And, you know, it's, I mean, if I didn't have that, I would, I would be just like spending like a drunken sailor probably. Right. But um, so yes, I've thought about that, but I, I feel like if things really went bad for whatever reason, like if, um, if all of our money was tied up in, in houses and suddenly we had some event that was going to require, you know, a lot of cash or whatever, I can always liquidate a house, right. If I need to, right. I know there's a lot of equity built up. So I feel like, um, there's, there's always going to be opportunities to tap into that, to that money if I need to, whether it's a refinance or an outright sale. So I think I, that kind of gives me comfort knowing I can get access to it. I think also, um, you know, a lot of, I think we all deal with this, right? As, as real estate investors, we have barbecues with our friends or family, and this topic inevitably comes up, and they want to talk about, oh, the market's going to crash, and we're word for a big downturn, or something like that. And I, I always say, I, I don't really worry about that all that much because I say, yeah, the market is going to have to take a downturn at some point. It always does, right? If you look at the the trajectory over any period of time. The market goes up and down and up and down and up and down. But what is consistent is that over time, it generally makes its way up. And so if if it does go down in, in you know, for a period of time, for a couple of years or whatever it is, you know, I think I don't worry too much about that because, you know, I'm, I'm in for the long haul, which means I, I can ride that out. Because when the, when the houses, housing prices, for example, if they take a bit of a tumble, let's say they went down 20% tomorrow. Well, what does not change in that scenario is the price of rent does not change. So I'm still able to cover my expenses. I'm still able to generate cash flow on these houses. And knowing that I'm going to hold on to them anyway and wait for them to kind of start to rise back up again, I can sleep at night. In fact, I might look at it from a positive outlook and think, well, since the market is down, that probably presents a pretty good opportunity to buy. Right, so maybe I should go out and acquire a couple more houses while while the market is is, is this low. Um, so that's, I mean, that's the way I look at it. From a, you know, going yes, things if, if things go sideways, I think there's always a way out, and I, and I kind of like to how real estate gives you some of that flexibility to to maneuver your way around, to add, you know, to force appreciation. It gives you control over the outcome more so than any other investment vehicle that I've experienced, anyways. That's great. Boom. I think you just knocked that right out of the park, right? Like, I mean, it's so true, right? It's like, I mean, you look you look at these things and it's like, yeah, like, I mean, we always joke when people say, oh, the market's going to crash. And we always tell people, I hope it crashes, right? Because at the end of the day, I mean, you know, if you look at it from a, you know, from a, from a investor standpoint, that's an opportunity. And at the end of the day, totally. Scott, Scott, you're not buying, you know, you know, houses in the projects you're buying nice houses in nice neighborhoods which yeah. are going to attract what nice tenants that's right but, yeah so at the end of the day it's like if things go sideways you still have your houses right and at the end of the day you're still going to be able to provide a house for someone 
who needs it, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, I think you I think you nailed it, right? And it's like you're always going to have those naysayers that are like, oh, it's risky, and, you know, are you sure you want to do that? And, you know, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's all about how you, how you answer those questions. I think you nailed it. And I think there's just something to be said about the physical asset itself, right? I mean, you know, I can drive by the house, what uh, houses I can yeah I can see it I can walk in I don't there's something about it it's on a piece of land which is worth money there's a building on it there's just something about that right because I you, you contrast that to you know my stock portfolio which I have still sitting in my RSPs and you know I, I work for a publicly traded company I know how decisions go I know how the stock can go um, based on you know individuals making decisions about the outcome of a whatever. It's just that, that just seems so. Uh, I don't know. I just I, I there's just something about the the physical nature of of real estate that just that just gives me comfort, if that makes any sense. And control. <laughs> it gives you comfort and control. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. The stocks, you have no control. It's no. It's like it's a roller stock, coaster. It's, like, it's, it's a like, total gamble, right? Exactly. Yeah, you're, you're gambling, but. So Scott, yeah. you've obviously been doing this for the last three to three to four years, um, what would you say you've learned or what has the last year taught you in the real estate market or, oh, or as a person? Um, yeah, I think, I think I've learned that, uh, cause I almost feel like, I almost feel like this is like round two for me. Right. So I, I did the first little foray back in 2014 and then over this past year, kind of jumped back in and, and bought three more. And it what I learned is that you gotta you gotta move fast. You gotta stick with it. Um, you gotta you gotta be ready, right? Um, and I like what I always recommend people do is, you know, once you once you've got your own yourself through the knot hole or you're get your spouse with you and you're ready, you're 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 in alignment that we're gonna go do this, um, be ready to buy. So what I mean by that is Talk to your broker before you go shopping. Um, get pre-approved. So say, hey, Mr. Broker, I'm I'm ready to go buy my next investment property. You know, I'm probably going to want to spend around 400, 450. I don't know. Um, they will they will gather the information from you. They'll come back and say, okay, you're good to go. You're pre-approved. Go make some offers. Right. That once I once I hear those words, then I'm just like I'm off to the races, and I like you know just, just work with my contact the realtor. To, to help find the right property that's going to work so you can strike fast, right? Because there's nothing more frustrating than, you know, you go out on a realtor tour, you, you, know, you go look at a couple of houses, you go, oh, this one looks pretty good, let me think about it. And then, you know, some other investor is going to swoop in and buy it that night or something, mm-hmm. right? So you need to be that other investor that swoops in and buys it that night. It's as simple as that. So, and that's, that's kind of what I did for all three of the houses that I bought um, this past year. I just struck really, really fast. Um, you know, realtor tells me this is like this is a good this is a good one. Um, uh, in, in case, and actually, the first two this season this year, I bought sight unseen, right? So hmm. just call, got the call. It looks great. Put the offer in. I, I'm I'm doing this from you know. I get a call at work. I'm like, let's do it. Let's put the offer in. I will I will have an opportunity to look at it at the inspection, right? So if I absolutely hate the place or think it's the wrong price or whatever. I know I have an out if I need it. I haven't had to use it yet, though. Good. So I guess that's my biggest thing. Is biggest learning is just to move fast, right? Um, the other thing I would say is, and it kind of goes to my point about having your, your solid team, the realtor, 
like have a, you got to build trust with your team, right? So you can, you, you've got the right, the right relationships. You can reach out to them. You can ask the uh, question and when they come to you with something that you're ready to pounce, like you have to have that level of trust with your, with your team. Um, so that's, uh, that's what I've learned. And I, I'm, you know, my confidence level is going up and up and up every day where I'm, I'm I just want to go buy more like right now, right now, it just comes down. I got to find money, but <laughs> I think you scared a few people when you when you told them that you're buying houses sight unseen, right? I don't think you started there, but I think that's where you <laughs> end up, right? So. Well, what I didn't tell you is uh, uh, up until this point, like all the, the, the first, um, let's see, so I had four properties in the east. I, I didn't see any of those before I bought them. I, I, this, even the very, very first one we did, I mean, people thought it was crazy. And the, you know, imagine talking to your family, about, hey, I'm going to start buying houses for um as rental properties and i bought one but like the very first one this is with that other family we were working with and none of us saw it it was basically realtors realtor called me from the house he says this one looks great um i i think it's a good buy i, I would do it i goes in fact if you don't i'm probably gonna buy it for myself i'm like okay let's write up the offer i'll, I'll see it at the inspection so I kind of had that mindset early on, right? Just to, you got to go fast. But I, I think this year was more just icing on the cake for me to just be even faster, be ready to strike. Yeah. And and to those people listening, when Scott said, the realtor said, if you don't buy it, I will. You know you have an investor-friendly realtor that is actually going <laughs> to legitimately buy it if you don't. It will happen, I promise. But I think some people think that that's like a, you know, that's, that's a sales technique, right? It, it really isn't, right? Because I think, uh, you know, I mean, we're in the fields all, all the time, Brian, Erica, and myself, and it's it's really not a tactic, right? It's like we can't, obviously, we work with investors. We can't, you know, we can't compete with our clients, right? I mean, that would just be ethically wrong, right? But it's, if we're taking, you know, if we're taking an investor there, and we're like, this is a good one, and the investor's on, on the fence, we need to know, right? Because at the end of the day, there's 10 other people like Scott Zamberg and right behind him that want a cash flowing property and want it yesterday. Right. That's right. Yeah. And I, and I, and I know like, yeah, because I've come, you know, I've seen the, uh, whatever I go into the, the tours. I, I see the other investors that are, you know, talking to Erica about some house. And so I'm, I'm thinking to myself, these are all people that are looking for a house just like I am right now. So when Erica, comes out you know he says hey here's a here's a house that looks pretty good i know that if you know she's shopping that house to to a few other investors as well so um someone's gonna pounce on it right so wh- whether it's the right one for me or, or not at that point in time um sometimes i take a, a, a leap of faith and like i said I, I i i haven't had to go in without a condition of inspection yet um, so I like having that in. I, I've not done financing in the last couple. I've just done the inspection condition. But that, that does give me the opportunities to walk the house. You know, the last one I brought in the contractor with me um, to walk through, and I got a quote, you know, with the, by the end of that day, what it's going to cost me to do the suite. So you just kind of get all your stuff done in that one visit, and then I walk out, and I, I call up uh, Eric, and I'm like, you know, do it. Let's, take, let's remove the conditions. I'm in. So... so- Scott, um, obviously, like I said before, you've been doing this for quite a few years now, and everybody's got their reasons for doing it. And I know you touched on the, the fact that your stocks weren't performing to your liking and, and you wanted yeah. to do something that was going to change some things for you. But um, what 
why are you doing this now? And what would you say is your why or your reason for doing it? Yeah, yeah. So you're right. It's part of it was um, the, the reason was I, I needed a better performing investment asset, right, our vehicle. The why for me is, you know, and I miss this comes from a place of, you know, the older you get, the the more acutely aware you are of the fact that life is short, right? And uh, I I am just becoming more and more aware of the of the hours that I'm um, sitting on on the highway to go to my corporate job, <laughs> and sitting in meetings and sitting in uh, in my cubicle or whatever, right? And so my my why comes down to I. I really want to take back my time. Is I think what it comes down to, um, you know, you know, I always really subscribe to the to the mantra that Rockstar talks about. You know, your life, your terms. Um, that that just makes a lot of sense to me, right? When life is as short as it is, why would you want to live life on your own terms? It seems crazy not to. That so many people get caught in this, you know, society of working their butt off, you know, in a job that maybe they think is okay maybe they like it but but at the end of the day you're working for the man right and at the end of the day you're 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 told what to do um where to be um and when uh, so that, and that's good for a certain portion of your life but for me it's not it's not the be all end all right so so my why is i i'm i need to i need to get to a place where i can be more uh, financially independent, uh, so that so that I can spend time with family, so that I can travel and really. T- to me, that all comes down to time, right? I think time because life is so short. I want to, you know, maximize the time that I have. I don't think that's a bad idea because you're absolutely right. Life is short and time flies by, and I, I, yeah. I agree. You want to do it your way and, and and on your terms. Not a bad not a bad mantra at all. Mantra, man. I'm getting flashbacks, Scott, of you uh, on the 401 at the uh, in that movie, The Office Space, where he's in traffic and he's trying to switch lanes to get to his office five minutes quicker. Yeah, you, you know, yeah, up. yeah, and I, I think I had, the, I think I also had that scene where I brought a printer out to the field with a baseball bat and you know beat the thing up to death. Yeah, <laughs> with the heavy rap music, I could totally see That's you doing right. that. <laughs> one of my favorite movies, man. It is a good Those one. TPS reports, I tell you. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And your stapler. My stapler. <laughs> stapler. Yeah. So, uh, Scott, you talked a lot about some of the projects you're working on, uh, like with the basement conversions, illegal basement conversions. Um, you know, I guess two questions I have for you. Like, you've talked a little bit about some of the scope. Like, how big are these projects? What type of budget are you looking at? And how are you finding the contractors? And what are you looking for when you're kind of hiring those contractors? Yeah, these are like, so what I'm finding is um, a basement conversion is, I don't know, like the minimum I've, I've seen would be maybe 60 or 70K um, to do a, you know, a complete, you know, you're starting from scratch, you build this place out with the kitchen, the appliances, everything, um, bathroom, two or three bedrooms. Um, some are going to go higher than that, though, right, depending on depending on the scope, depending on the size, the, the footprint and the square footage of the house. So, uh, yeah, so the one that we're looking at right now is going to push higher than that. 
So, you know, it, it, but again, I, I, I'm always going to recoup a, a good chunk of that cost through the mortgage plus improvement. So I'll get that back from the bank, at least a portion of it, which helps. Um, and then, and then what I tend to do is, you know, I just kind of plan on, you know, a year, two years, three years later, I'll, I'll plan on doing a refinance and see if I can recoup even more of that money. Right. So I'd like, I'd like to be able to get as much of my capital back out of the house at some point in time so that I can then put that into the next one. So that's, so the pretty big, pretty big projects, which can take a fair bit of time, um, you know, in terms of, in terms of the contractors, for me, it's all been word of mouth. So I, I've relied on, you know, um, again, kind of going back to your team, who's using, who's using which contractor. Um, are you happy with the, the results? Are you happy with the service you're getting? Um, you know, I go to a lot of, uh, uh, quite a few different uh, meetups, um, uh, real estate investment clubs and whatnot. And that's one of the things that I, I've t- talked to other investors about is, you know, how are you doing your projects? Who are you working with? Are you happy with them? So I've collected a couple more business cards along the way as well because I want to have options. Um, but, yeah, so, but, you know, so far, knock on wood, I'm doing okay with, with, the, with the contractors I'm working with. Uh, I would say that the, the number one thing I look for when when talking or um, working with a contractor is uh, don't overpromise me because um, there's nothing more frustrating than somebody saying they're going to get the job done in six weeks and then it takes 12. Um, and I think the other big thing for me is communication. I mean, you, you got to communicate. Don't don't go dark on me, like answer my calls or text, like just like stay in touch. Um, just keep the communication lines open. I think that's a fair request when you're when you're spending seventy thousand dollars on a basement conversion. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You want to you want to make sure that uh, you're being treated the right way. So, because yeah. like you know, like it's it's stressful knowing that there's a you know there's a lot of there's a lot of money riding on this because I need to get the place done and rented, and and also the bank does they do give you a time frame right. So when you are get, getting the bank to come back in at the end and do that appraisal to give you back the 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 extra value. So the mortgage plus improvement, there's some window. I can't remember if it's 90 days or 120 days or whatever it is that they have to be in and get that finalized. Um, so there's that pressure as well, right? So just making sure it all stays on time is super important. Right. So you've touched on uh, the importance of a contractor. Uh, you touched a little bit on the importance of a realtor. Um, with everything you've done, how vital would you say um, that it is to have that good network, to have that, what we, uh, Jay, myself, and Erica refer to as the dream team, the team that you can rely on and, and count on and for additional networking. Like how, how vital is that for you and probably, somebody in your position? It's probably the most important thing, actually, right? Because, um, you know, the, it, it gives you the, it propels you forward, right? When you've got, when you've got other people that you can lean on to get questions answered, um, like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm pestering my accountant every once in a while, my lawyer. I was on the phone today with my lawyer on a couple things about incorporation. Um, you know, yeah, so just I think it's it's super important to kind of keep the momentum going for you. And, it, and, and then also you start to realize that you're not doing this 100% on your own, right? You, there is help. And, um, and it's – but that's – that's really what unlocks the growth, I think, for you, right? When you start to realize, like when I was talking before about how you can repeat the process, well, 
a big part portion of being being able to retain it is because you've got that dream team and and we're, we're starting to follow a formula and the dream team knows the formula that i'm using because other people use it too and it becomes like clockwork to a certain degree yeah so if i if i can if i was starting all over again um and if I if I was just kind of imagining what it would be like if I didn't have all the contacts, I mean, how frustrating would that be? I'm like, I'm, who would I call for this? I have no idea, right? Like the fact that I can Jay, I can reach out to Jay and say, Jay, who do you use? Who's a good HVAC guy in Hamilton? I got a I got a furnace problem. I mean, Jay gives me like a contact within three seconds. Boom, here's the guy you talk to. <laughs> you know, as opposed to me going on Kijiji and or HomeStars or whatever and searching reviews and it's like, no, no, this is the one. He knows the investor community. Work with this guy. That's just amazing. Yeah, I'm gonna have to have a talk with Jay because his replies to me are a lot longer than that. <laughs> Jay, I have three, sec- bathroom, three seconds or less. <laughs> three. <laughs> All right. Scott, well, um, like, I mean, you've got an incredible story, right? Like, in terms of kind of where you've been, you've taken your, you know, your we like to call it bank imposed time out, and you're back at it, which is awesome. Um, you know, three properties in the last year. What's the biggest challenge you've had to overcome in the past year? Hmm. In the past year, uh, I mean, I honestly, my my bigger challenges were prior to this past year. But uh, there is a there is a challenge. This is something you'll have to ask me in a few weeks from now, to be honest, because we're working <laughs> we're working through an eviction. Um, for for one of our houses, so this is our first time going through the uh, landlord tenant board process. Um, and so this is this is a challenge that we are in the midst of going through. This is for one of our Bowmanville houses, um, and I, it's a big it's a big challenge because there's a lot of unknowns for us, right? So that we're we just don't really know exactly what we're what we're going through. Um, we're it's, it's it's a very it's a very complicated situation with this uh, particular tenant. Um, we've we've got a paralegal now involved, so there's a lot of moving parts on this. But I think it's um, I th- I think if I were going through this three years ago, I would be super stressed out and I'd be like tempted to say this is ridiculous and throw in the towel. But but what's with the way I'm approaching this now, my mindset is much more around this is not this is not um, you know, a problem we can't figure out. This is just a, it's a little bump in the road and it's a huge learning opportunity, right? Because it's inevitable that when you're, when you're landlording houses, you are going to have to have these situations once in a while. Um, and so I just, I'm looking at it as, you know, we're going to, we're going to use this as a learning opportunity and, you know, make a couple of new contacts along the way. Got a new paralegal we're working with on that. Um, see how this works out. But again, I don't know, I don't know what the, what the final outcome is going to look like quite yet because, uh, the hearing is uh, is hasn't happened yet, but it's very soon. It'll be just another experience on your your big resume. Yeah, exactly. It'll make a good story someday, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's not pleasant. Yeah, it's not pleasant now, but I mean, down the road you can look at it and it's like, yeah, like I mean, we dealt with it, right? And we move on, and yeah, you know, we we have people handling it. I don't have to go to the landlord tenant board and deal yeah. with it. I've got you know a paralegal that's going to do it. So I mean, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a good learning opportunity. It's the way I'm looking at it. So, yep. Good stuff. So we've made it to the fire round, Scott. Ooh, the you, fire round. Yeah, are you scared? You should be. We need some sirens. I think we need some sirens. For I was actually thinking round. of doing like a deep voicing, like fire round. Fire round. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
And maybe yeah, some explosions. Maybe I, my editing is limited, so. Yeah, um, song or something. <laughs> yeah, so we'll fire these off pretty quickly at you, Scott. So just uh, as sure. best you can. Um, cool. First off, where do you see yourself in the next twelve months? Next twelve months, um, uh, more properties. I'd like to be adding three to four new properties over the next twelve months. Um, the only thing that might be different in twelve months is I might I might consider dabbling in a flip or two uh, just as a way to generate more short term cash. Um, I'm just exploring, right? So yeah, good, awesome. Sky's the limit. Yeah. Uh, where do you see the market in the next 12 months? Uh, uh, well, I don't have a crystal ball, but I, I think it's going to, I think it's going to continue to appreciate. I think we've seen a, a little bit of a correction happen around, you know, the GTA already. Um, so I expect we're going to continue to see appreciation in the price of houses, probably not the same crazy pace we've seen, you know, over the last decade or so, but, um, but uh, yeah, I think I think we're going to see kind of slow and steady, and I'm also thinking that we're going to continue to see rents on the incline, which I think is awesome because it's going to help us continue to you know to uh, beat the the interest rate hikes that we're seeing. I like it. All right, I got two. Oh, sorry, I have to do the deep voice. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, you dude, forgot your radio sorry. voice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Scott, um, who do you learn from? Um, I, I think it's the dream team we talked about earlier. So that would be the realtors, um, or coach, you know, I consider my, the, my realtor more like coach, uh, you and, you know, Erica, Jay, Brian, you guys are like, oh, like you, my coaches, um, mortgage broker, accountant, lawyer, insurance broker, all those, all those guys really I'm learning from every single day. I also, I also make sure I'm learning from my peers at these, those media groups I've been talking about networking groups, um, yeah, so like I, I'm always, always soaking it up, always absorbing. Perfect. Um, and then, uh, what are you currently reading? If you're not a, if you're not an avid reader, um, which podcasts are you currently listening to? This, this, um, this is a very tricky question, so think very carefully. <laughs> well, from a reading perspective, I, I do. Well, I actually do listening. Uh, I do. I'm a big Audible fan. Um, I just finished uh, the most recent book I just finished was Lynchpin by Seth Godin, which was a, a recommendation by a fellow investor at a group I was at recently. So that was an interesting listen. Um, I also recently re-listened to Rich Dad, uh, Poor Dad, which, of course, is like the book that everybody got to get started on. And I just gave it a fresh listen uh, within the last six months and uh, still still awesome. Just kind of helps me kind of keep my mindset in the right place. Podcast massive fan so i'm i'm addicted to like like almost all podcasts in this space so obviously this one um is one of my newer favorites um there are you know i'm sure you guys are aware of some of the other ones is breakthrough rei your the your life your term show where should i invest uh, they, they go on and on um but there's one that i recently started listening to which is not a canadian one which i'm really digging lately is the i don't know if you guys have heard of bigger pockets yeah um They've got a pretty good podcast um, with a lot of great content. I've only recently got onto that one, but so much like they've oh, the history on that thing is crazy, right? Like, they've been doing it for a long time. Yeah. So awesome. yeah. Uh, if you could do one thing differently in the last year, what would have what would what, uh, what uh, would it have been? I'm gonna say for this, I would have started thinking about JV Partners earlier. So because I know that I'm that's going to have to be my next play. 
is working with uh, joint venture partners. I, uh, I I wish I would have started getting getting people lined up a year ago, because um, now I'm I'm starting that process now. Right. Cool. What advice would you give to those sitting on the fence just watching you, and uh, what would you say to them? I would say that if you are if you are serious about um, doing your own real estate investing, um, you know, decide, decide, do you want to do it on your own? Like, do you want to jump in both feet and go for it, build your team? If that's the case, then take a, take a step, right? Okay. And that could be the tiniest baby step you can imagine, but you got to take a step, take action. So it could be find Google, find a, find a local real estate investing club, right? Um, book your book yourself to write to attend it like it's it could be something as simple as that for me at one point it was i just need to send an email to my broker to keep the process moving right send an email to the broker get the next approval going and like it's just like for me to set one little step and then it kind of gets the ball back in play again and then i'm back to the races but for for somebody else that's sitting on the fence that is interested but you know maybe maybe doesn't have the time or the, you know, the, the patience to, to really try to jump in, then I would say find a partner, right? So if you want to do this, work with somebody that can help you do this, um, that can kind of take you through the process and maybe invest together. Because that's, that's another good way to learn is to, is to work with somebody that can kind of take you through and show you the ropes. Yeah, so you're not doing it alone. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that, that concludes our grilling and intense questions. I hope you made it through wow, okay. good. That's a lot of grilling. That was a lot of grilling. I'm exhausted. <laughs> well, it's Monday. It's Monday. <laughs> Must have been we a good weekend. We didn't even get to the Miss Canada questions, Brian. Jeez. The Miss Canada <laughs> questions. If, if you were Miss Canada, what would you do to make the world a better place? Oh, really? I'm going to pass on that one. Yeah, yeah. I, told, I gave him the option to pass early on, and that's the one he's chosen to pass on. That's probably smart. Anyways, um, Scott, uh, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time and sitting down with us. Um, I know you're a busy fella with the family and work and investing, but uh, we really do appreciate it. And I and I'm I'm so confident that people are going to gain some some good information and good content from this one. This was a good one. Uh, and awesome. I, well, thanks uh, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll have you again in the future. If you're, right, if you're up for that. More stories to share. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, awesome. So thanks again on behalf of the, the Real Estate Investors Lounge, myself, Jay, and Erica. And uh, we'll be in touch in the very near future. Okay. Thank Alrighty. you. Okay. Take care. Have a good night. Great. Thanks, Scott.